Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. You're confident when it comes to your work and life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same confidence when it comes to refinancing your existing mortgage or buying a home. It lets you understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Go to rocketmortgage.com fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp birthday boy here at the Motley Fool. Hi, everybody. Also personal finance expert. Yeah, that's true, too. Happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. Court is back in session. Sorry, not sorry. This week, Judge Bro will tackle such tough cases as the latte effect, if college is a waste of money, and whether you should count on Social Security. We'll also estimate how much the little expenses add up in retirement and answer your question about what to do when your 401k options are lousy. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Full Answers. It's time for Answers Answers, and today's question comes from Alex. Alex writes, My wife works at a small company with a slate of bad options in her 401k. All of the funds have fees above 1%. How does she start the conversation about improving the choices, and what should she say? Also, there's no company match. Given that, do tax-advantaged accounts without great investment choices make sense? Or would allocating money to a standard taxed investment account be more advantageous? As an aside, we are maxing out our Roth IRAs. Well, Alex, sorry to hear about your wife's plan, but that's not actually uncommon with small companies. It actually does cost a bit of money to run a 401k, um, and smaller companies don't have cost-effective options, so what they do is they'll open up a plan, and the employer basically is passing the costs along to the employees in the form of not a great plan, often higher expenses. I would, first of all, just go to the people who are in charge of choosing the plan, maybe the owner of the company, if the owner worked for the company, the HR person, and say, we're all in this together. If we all get a better plan, we'll all benefit. And if you can do a little bit of research beforehand, I think that could help a couple of companies that are sort of known for helping smaller businesses. Are Fidelity actually has a pretty good reputation, as does a company called Ubiquity. So you might want to do a little bit of research, have some information, and say, hey, look, for a company of our size, this is how much it would cost. These are the options we could have something along those lines. As for your other question, if the plan isn't going to change, is it better to just save in a brokerage account? And it might be. You say that you contribute to your Roth IRAs, which is great, and that also tells me that you're not in a super high tax bracket, because otherwise you wouldn't be eligible. Because if you are not going to contribute to the 401k, what you're giving up on is a tax deduction. But if you're not in a high tax bracket, maybe that's not that big of a deal. Instead, you could put money in a taxable brokerage account, ideally something that doesn't pay a dividend, so you don't have to pay taxes on those dividends each and every year, and then hold on to it for the long term, because you're not going to pay taxes as long as you're holding on. And when you sell, you'll sell the taxes you'll pay are long-term capital gains, which is actually a lower rate than the money you take out of your 401k. So it actually can be a smart move. Plus, any of the money you have outside of your 401k, you can use for any anything you want if you need it before retirement. Ideally, this is for retirement, but if you need it before then, you can access it as opposed to the money in your 401k, you might have to pay taxes and penalties. So I think actually that's not a bad idea, but the, the first place to start is trying to get a better plan if you can convince your employer to do it. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. With Rocket Mortgage, you can apply simply and understand fully so you can mortgage confidently. They like adverbs as much as I do. <laughs> 
<laughs> to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. 3030. Yes, sorry, not sorry, but court is back in session. The Honorable Judge Bro, he's here and he's hearing both sides of controversial cases and personal finance. So today I'll be channeling my best Elle, Wor- Elle Woods from Legally Blonde and pitting her against your prototypical barrister from a British crime procedural. So this'll be fun. <laughs> Serious fun. All right, case one. The prosecution believes that the stock market is too volatile and retirees' timeline too short to risk any money in the stock market. Meanwhile, the defense believes retirees should keep some money in stocks or risk running out. It's the case of bonds, stocks, and bonds. Your Honor, noble lords and ladies, and the Queen. Retirees have bills they must pay, yet the stock market is unpredictable and mercurial. In this century alone, we have seen two bear markets when the stock market dropped roughly 50%. Now, in particular, is not the time for risky behavior. The stock market is currently overvalued, and we're in the second longest bull market in history. Stocks are due for a decline. Other sources of income, such as bonds and annuities, are much more reliable. Even guaranteed. Okay, thank you very much. And now, defense? Okay, so yes, there are bear markets, but the market has recovered every time. So, safe investments produce historically low levels of income due to very low interest rates. Over the course of someone's retirement, which could last decades considering increased longevity, a portfolio without stocks won't grow, and the income it produces will gradually be eroded by inflation. Simply put, if you're Money doesn't continue to grow in retirement with the help of equities. You're going to have to sell your Birkin bag. You do have a Birkin, right? I don't even know what a Birkin bag is. It's a very expensive purse. (laughs) I'm ready with my verdict. In the case of retirees should have most of their money in the stock market, I find the defense innocent of bad advice. Uh. Yeah, so given that most people should expect to have a retirement that lasts 20 to 30 years. Over a time frame that long, they do have to worry about their money. They're not outspending their money, having their money keep up with inflation. It's a time frame that's long enough to have money in the stock market. In my rural retirement service, our model portfolio for retirees has that classic 60% stocks, 40% cash and bonds. And studies show that's actually a pretty good allocation for retirees. Of course, there will be bear markets, there will be those 50% declines. Any money you need to spend in the next five years, I call it the income cushion for retirees, have that out of the stock market, maybe even a little bit more these days, given the high valuation of the stock market. But overall, I think it's perfectly fine for retirees to have most of their money in the stock market. All right, let's hear our next case. The prosecution believes that the crushing burden of student debt is not worth it. Meanwhile, the defense argues that despite rising costs, college is still worth the money. It's the case of, is a BS a load of BS? (laughs) That's awful. Here we go. Let's hear from the prosecution. Increases in the cost of higher education are beginning to outweigh the potential benefits of earning a degree. The average class of 2016 has $37,000 in student loan debt. 
up 6% from the previous year. The effects of such debt prevents millennials from buying a home and contributing to retirement accounts. After all, one does not need college to be successful. History is full of successful people who didn't earn a college degree, such as Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Richard Branson, and Rachel Ray. (laughs) Your Honor, in closing, tea and crumpets, park the lorry in the lift, God save the Queen. (laughs) Thank you, prosecution. How about a defense for college. College is totally worth it, Your Honor. College graduates aged 25 to 32 who are working full-time earn about 17000 more annually than their peers who only have a high school diploma, according to the Pew Research Center. Also, according to a paper published in the journal Science, the true cost of a college degree is about negative $500,000. Yes, that's right. Not going to college will cost you about half a million dollars. Contrary to the unfortunate stereotype of women my age, I am good with math, and I can tell you the numbers add up in favor of going to college. Gotcha. Okay. So my verdict is, in the case of everyone should go to college, I find the defense innocent of bad advice, but it's a close one. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to find her guilty, at least in the third degree, put her on probation, because... It does show. I mean, the, every, the studies do show that going to college does pay off eventually. But I think this idea that everyone has to go to college is why colleges can get away with charging so much money, why the cost goes up two to three times the cost of inflation every year, which means all these kids graduate with a lot of student debt. So I do think most people should go to college. Just be very smart about the decisions you make about where to go. Okay. The prosecution maintains that the latte effect is real. This is a snappy term for the financially corrosive power of buying an expensive cup of coffee today. It's doubted by the defense, who believes you should sweat the big stuff and instead enjoy the little joys of life. This is the case of the latte effect is in effect. (laughs) We're going to get through this episode. The math doesn't lie, Your Honor. Foregoing a $5 expense every day and investing the money instead really adds up. For example, do that for 20 years and earn 8% a year, you'd have about $90,000. How much pleasure did you really get from that triple venti, half-sweet, no-foam, decaf, non-fat soy caramel macchiato anyway? You should instead spend your money on the things that grow in value, to wit, like stocks in companies that make lattes. And if it pleases the court, might I add, Bob's your uncle. Go ahead, defense. Whatever. The biggest items in the average person's budget isn't caffeine-related consumption. There are bigger expenses to fry, such as housing, transportation, utilities, and groceries. Maybe don't go to the fire festival. That'll save you thousands right there. If all you do is save for the future, which could be decades away or never come, you'll live a life of self-denial, abstinence, and caffeine deficiency. A triple venti, half-sweet, no-foam, decaf, soy caramel macchiato is a perfectly reasonable indulgence. Thank you, defense. (laughs) So, in the case of the latte factor being stupid, I find the defense... Guilty of being bad advice. Really? I actually do think it makes sense to pay attention to the little expenses. When you look at your budget line items, yes, they are bigger fish to fry, but a lot of those things, once you've made those decisions, they're fixed, like your car payment and your mortgage. You can't really decide, I'm going to spend less on my mortgage next month. Discretionary expenses like going out to eat, entertainment, lattes, those are what you have control over, so I think it makes sense to look at that. I may have said in a previous episode, the 
the thing that got me first interested in money was a radio show with Rick Edelman, who said, was basically talking to someone who was spending too much money on Cokes. Mm. <laughs> and Rick Edelman said, you should instead use that money to buy shares of Coke. And he had some impressive numbers to show for that. And that's really what actually got me interested in being an investor. So I think it does make sense. That said, if having whatever that long named coffee thing is really, really important to you, go ahead and do it. Just make it part of your budget, and then you might have to cut back on something else that's not as important to you. The prosecution says you should not heed the cries of those saying that the Social Security kitty will be empty once you retire. Meanwhile, the defense maintains that you should assume you'll get nothing. It's the case of more like social insecurity, am I right? <laughs> All right. All right, prosecution. Ignore the chicken littles who claim Social Security will be bankrupt by the time you retire. According to the most recent report by the Social Security trustees, the program is funded until 2034. At that point, the program will still be able to pay 75% of projected benefits. The program is mostly funded by taxes paid by workers and employers. And as long as people are working, the program will have money. Assuming you won't get anything from Social Security would require you to save much more money for retirement. Too much, really. Depriving you of all the ways you and your family could have enjoyed that money before your 60s. Finally, if I may, Angela Lansbury with a tea koozie on her head playing footy for Eaton. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thank you, prosecution defense. As the prosecution points out, Social Security is financed mostly by workers. Back in 1950, there were 16.5 workers for every retiree. Today, it's 2.8. By 2040, it'll be 2.1. So many retirees relying on too few workers is unsustainable. What isn't paid by taxes is paid by the so-called trust funds, which are invested in Treasury securities, essentially government IOUs. Given large budget deficits and a severely underfunded Medicare program, do you really think Uncle Sam will have all the money to cover all these debts? It's better to assume you'll get nothing from Social Security and look at anything you do receive as a bonus. Thank you very much. She's I, a smart cookie. She's a smart cookie. I accept... In the case of don't count on Social Security, I find the defense guilty mm. of bad advice. The, the fact is, you will get something, although I think it's fine for anyone who's 50 or younger to assume you won't get everything you promise. When I do my little numbers, I assume I'm going to get about 50% of what I'm projecting to get, because I know I'm going to get something. The program is just really too important to the financial well-being of senior citizens. The majority of retirees rely on Social Security for most of their income, and something like 20% of retirees get all their income from Social Security. There's got to be a way to make the program work. It actually would just take a few tweaks. I think we'll work it out. In the end, everyone will get something. All right, it's our final case of the day. There was a time when buying a home was the path everyone aspired to, but the prosecution argues the hassle and cost isn't worth the dismal investment return, and you might as well rent. The defense counters that owning a home is still worth it. It's the case of home sweet money pit. <laughs> All right. 
A home isn't as good of an investment as people think. Once you factor in all of the costs, including the mortgage, insurance, taxes, and maintenance, houses barely keep pace with inflation. Sure, you could build equity, but it's not easily accessible. To get to it, you have to sell the house or take out a home equity loan, which has to be paid back with interest. Once you factor in the realtor's commission, the cost of fixing up the house and paying the movers, you're talking upwards of 10% of the value of the house going up in a puff of smoke. In conclusion, this parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late parrot. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed it to the perch, it would be pushing up daisies. It's rung down the curtain and joined the choir invisible. This is an ex-parrot. I think that is a quote from somebody. I've heard it before. Okay, so defense. When you pay rent, you're just throwing money away. Plus, the rent payments can go up every year. With a house, you're building equity and the payment is fixed, so it goes down in inflation-adjusted terms. Studies have shown that all other things being equal, homeowners build more wealth than renters. And there's a real psychological benefit to owning a home. You can do whatever you want to it, you don't have to worry about a landlord, and you own a piece of the American dream. Tax benefits. Mortgage interest and property taxes are tax deductible if you itemize and when you sell your house up to 250,000, 500,000 for couples of capital gains are tax free. Well, all right. Ready for the verdict. In the case of everyone should buy a house, I find the defense guilty of being bad advice. It probably doesn't surprise you. Uh, a house is expensive, it's a liquid, it can be a hassle. Many people would be better off renting instead and investing the money they save, which would make up for the home equity they're not building up as renters. I had this discussion recently with a full employee who's paying about $2,000 a month in rent. He said he feels like he's just throwing that money yeah. down the drain. He was looking at a house that would cost him over $3,000 a month. And I said, if you just invest that $1,000 difference, that's how you can build up some equity. Um, that said, I understand there are psychological benefits to buying a house, but I really think, in, to a large degree, it's a lifestyle choice more than a financial sure thing. So, how do you know if renting or a house is right for you, or buy, renting or buying is right for you? Well, you compare the total cost of owning the house versus the total cost of renting mm -hmm. a, a similar type of house, and then you know whether it makes sense financially to do it or not. You're just all hard numbers, aren't you? Sort of, but you also are making a commitment to being at that place and having that income for, I think it should be at least six to 10 years. Not that I personally have found yeah, that gonna advice. Say, how's that worked out in your right, personal exactly. life? Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, well, you know. Uh, but when you are committing to a house, you're committing to a mortgage that is based on your current income. So if you uh, take on too much of a mortgage, you are assuming that you're going to make a certain amount of income to be able to cover that. What if your job situation changes? What if you lose that job and you want to move somewhere else? And that's where all those transaction costs come in. Basically, I think it's just one of those things that if you are comfortable being planted in the same place, in the same lifestyle, in the same area for six to 10 years, it's probably fine. But it is not a sure thing. And I think many people would be better off just renting and having that flexibility and putting the extra money in the stock market. All right. Well, we did it. We made it through another day of court. <laughs> I would like to apologize to our friends across the pond for my amazing British accent. That was outstanding. I don't know who I would need to apologize for my horrible representation of a young woman. So, 
I don't know. Who was the actress in the movie? I never saw the movie. Oh, you never saw Legally Blonde? Uh, it was Reese Witherspoon. Oh, and okay, so she least... sort of played like a stereotypical like sorority sorority girl, but who okay. was very smart but underestimated because she um, you know, had blonde hair and cared right. about fashion. But in the end, she was awesome, so you don't have to apologize for that. Right. Girls who do upspeak can also be smart speak, That's too. True. That's me t- true. Me talk smart, for example, <laughs> right now. Like, oh my God! picture there i am at the westin yes sitting in on a talk that megan brinsfield aka taxi pants was giving and she mentions the rule of 300 mm-hmm. when people ask how much do i need to have in order to retire most financial planners refer to the four percent rule or rule of 25 there are different ways of stating the same thing If you need to spend $36,000 a year in retirement, you need to have 25 times that amount, or $900,000, to get through a 30-year retirement. 36 is also 4% of 900. The rule of 300 takes this one step further to look at monthly expenses. So instead of multiplying annual expenses by 25, you multiply your monthly expenses by 300. So that same person spending $3,000 a month arrives at needing $900,000 to retire. I like this because it underscores the impact that small changes on your monthly budget can have. Reducing your monthly spending by $50 a month sounds small, but it means you need to save $15,000 less before you can retire. All right, so the rule of 300, as I understand it, is a handy-dandy little way to think about how much money you need to save for retirement to cover your monthly expenses that you currently have. So, for example, if I plan on viewing a lot of Netflix in my retirement, and I do, and it costs $10 a month, $10 times 300 means that when I retire, I need to have $3,000 saved up to cover my Netflix account. Right, exactly. So, I thought it'd be fun to see how much we're going to be spending on other things that we need to account for. Unless you live in New Hampshire, because you know what they say about people who live in New Hampshire, the average American spends roughly $36 a month on alcohol. So for your retirement, that means you need to plan to have uh, $10,800 just to cover your bar tab. (laughs) And then your average crafter, this hits home for me, spends roughly $26 a month on things like yarn, mostly yarn if we're being honest, which translates to almost $7,000 that I need to (laughs) allot for on the day I retire. Now here's where things get really fun. Are you ready? Ready. Golfing. That iconic thing that so many people want to do in retirement. So let's say, on average, you play a couple times a week. It's maybe a hundred bucks for fees. I don't golf, so I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. So with the thing, when you swing the stick. (laughs) I talked to Matt Trogdon about this. I was like, Matt, can you do the math for me? So the math here is easy. 400 a month? If you plan on golfing... You're going to need a lot of money. <laughs> that would come to about $120,000 that you would need to have Wow! when you retire, just to cover your golfing bill. <laughs> That's a lot. It is a, a lot. It's a rough rule of thumb, folks. Don't have a heart attack out there. It is. A, yeah, literally, <laughs> please, when you're out on the green. Uh, so anyway, the rule of 300... Uh, it's kind of an interesting way to think about how much your expenses are going to be 
for all the little things and how they add up. But I think three thousand for Netflix and almost seven thousand for crafting is totally worth it. Yeah, pay for the rest of your life. Why not? What's retirement all about other than watching TV and knitting? And drinking alcohol, I guess, here is the other one I have. And golfing. While you're golfing. I actually had a hard time thinking, I was like, what do people do in retirement? And I guess this is what I came up with. (laughs) Knitting, drinking, TV, and golf. Worst things. You know, if you live in the villages, there's other things to do. (laughs) They have the spanking I don't even want to think about their loofah expenses per month. Oh, Wow. (laughs) Once you figure out your monthly costs, then multiply it by 300, and I'll let our listeners do the math. Yeah. Okay, that's the show. It's edited judiciously by Rick Engdahl. Uh, if you have some questions that you think would be a good fit for Judge Bro, <laughs> go ahead and send them on in. Uh, I can't guarantee I have any better voices, and at some point I'll just bring in other people, probably. Maybe that's a better way to do it, rather than me offending a different <laughs> bunch of people every episode. Maybe? Yeah. We'll explore it. Hey, and it's summer, so you know I want to get postcards from you guys on vacation. And I will also add that it can be a pain when you're on vacation to actually mail a postcard and like find a post office and get a stamp. So I'm also fine if you find a postcard on vacation and then mail it when you actually get home. Right? I'm sure. easy. Tell sure. your friends. And to to where should they mail it, Allison? Oh, that's a really good point. <laughs> so our address is 2000 Duke Street. Uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. We're currently moving floors, though, so I don't know if it, it doesn't matter. It'll get to us. All right, so yeah, 2000 Duke Street, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. Care of Motley Fool Answers. For Robert Brokamp, birthday boy, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.